everyone, and welcome to The Wrap, brought to you by Michigan Medicine Headlines. I'm Dan Elman with the Department of Communication. And I'm Dan's fourth favorite co-host, Jeremy Fallis. Uh, today, we're bringing you a podcast about a podcast as we discuss the Breaking Down Mental Health podcast hosted by your fellow Michigan Medicine colleagues. Now, before we get into that, go back and check out any podcast episodes from The Wrap you may have missed. You can find them on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any other hosting platform. Episodes can also be found on the Michigan Medicine YouTube channel and as part of the headlines, we can review. And with that, let's talk podcasts. First, we have three guests with us today. So can you all introduce yourselves and the role you play at Michigan Medicine? Yeah, sure. So I'll I'll go first. So my name is Dr. Christina Swiner. I am a dual certified uh, nurse practitioner. So I have certifications as both a pediatric and a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. And I work on our uh, adolescent and child psychiatry consult liaison service. So what that means is I see all our medically admitted kids who may have a psychiatric concern. And then I'm also active um, nationally at the uh, National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners. Um, I've written articles, I've spoken on a lot of mental health things, and then I co-host uh, Breaking Down Mental Health with these, these fine ladies. I can go next. So I'm Dr. Heidi Burns. I am a double board certified physician. I'm actually an adult and child psychiatrist, but primarily work in child psychiatry. Um, here at the University of Michigan at Michigan Medicine, I work as an emergency psychiatrist as well as um, a consult psychiatrist within child psychiatry. So I get to work every day with these two lovely ladies um, on the child CL or consult liaison service and um, also see people in the emergency psychiatry setting. Um, I primarily focus my initiatives on improving access to child and adolescent psychiatry, on emergency psychiatry, and then I also do international research on mental health um, in the global context. Hi, and I'm Saima. I'm a Saima Khan. I'm a clinical social worker with our consult psychiatry service. Um, so I have, you know, get to work with these guys and it's a great team. So I think that's something that, you know, is highlighted in our podcast. But um, I have a master of social work from the University of Michigan, as well as a master of public health. And my focus is really um, on hospital services and hospital psychiatric care. So I've um, worked on our psychiatric emergency, inpatient psychiatric services, and um, also now on our consultation and liaison psychiatry team. I also serve as the DEI co-implementation lead for the Department of Psychiatry. So that's kind of one of my areas of um, passion is uh, promoting diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging work at the health system. That's awesome. All right. So I know you mentioned the Breaking Down Mental Health podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about the podcast and sort of what, you know, prompted you to realize that there's a need for the podcast? So I think you have a two-pronged question there. So, so first, kind of a little bit about the podcast. So Breaking Down Mental Health is um, a podcast that breaks down mental health. So it breaks down various topics um, in the mental health realm um, to more uh, feasible levels. So um, we take a more general topic and kind of break it down into littler questions and answer those questions so that our listeners can understand better and better treat our patients that we're seeing. And it also is an effort to break stigma because there's a huge stigma with mental health. So 
um, that was kind of the the platform that we built the the podcast off of, but it was really birthed off of a need for for education. And um, Saima and Heidi can help me kind of explain this too. But there there's been a lot going on. We're in a mental health crisis um, for our youth. Um, they we're seeing more and more ER visits. Uh, the the acuities higher. There's not enough psychiatric beds. There's something like Simon could probably give me the exact number, like 360 ish pediatric beds in the state of Michigan. Um, and at any given time, we probably have uh, six to I don't know 20 kids in our ER waiting for a bed, and that's our ER alone. Um, needing this level of care. And that's not to mention the wait list for outpatient care. And when we call like outpatient psychiatrists, or we have families looking for therapists, they're like, it's six months, it's a year until these therapists can see me. So then they're coming in the ERs in crisis, they're suicidal, or they've done something more detrimental. And then on top of that, there is a huge shortage of mental health providers. So now we can't even fill the need that's there. So we're we're turning to to our colleagues who have little to no mental health training to kind of fill this void. And that's kind of why we developed the podcast was to help prepare them to answer these questions, to treat these patients and to be more comfortable treating these patients. And I think the really stark thing that I just wanted to sort of echo in um, what Christina said is that even prior to the pandemic, which has caused a considerable amount of stress on children, um, given how disruptive it is for their lives, since their primary goal or primary, you know, uh, purpose at this stage is to go to school, to develop, to develop social contacts. Um, you know, we had a problem before that even happened. Um, we knew that we had a shortage of providers. We knew that we had uh, in an adequate system to handle a very fastly um, developing epidemic and mental health. And, you know, even prior to that, we had lots of data that showed there are not enough providers, an adequate amount of providers in every single state. Um, basically, Washington, D.C. was the only place that said they had an adequate amount. And they, if you were to ask anybody who actually worked in that setting, they could also tell you that even though the data suggests that they have a, a correct sort of number per population, they still felt the pressure and the stress of not being able to provide for the children in their community. I think just to kind of couple and add on to what Christina Hay shared is, you know, I think it often feels challenging to care for patients with mental health needs because they think there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of questions about diagnosis, treatment, what's helpful, what's not helpful. And so, you know, we wanted this podcast to help our colleagues really feel more confident and recognize that they are capable of supporting these youth in our emergency rooms, on our medical settings, you know, in the outpatient setting. And so hopefully providing that bridge. Um, and we kind of, you know, say psych is like a different language. And so what can we do to help translate um, and help find, you know, shared language to support our patients and families? So I think uh, th this next question kind of flows right into the answers that you all just gave, and, and hopefully you can expand on it just a little bit. But, you know, what what is special and specific about the mental health crisis with our pediatric population? You know, what do you see in your daily work life? And, you know, maybe how is that different than um, the mental health issues that may be seen with adult patients? 
So I think to start things off, you know, one thing that we are seeing is that we are just seeing more youth. So we are definitely seeing, you know, more and more, you know, the percentage of patients presenting to our emergency room that are presenting for psychiatric crisis. You know, there's been an increase over the last, you know, five, 10 years. Um, and we're also seeing younger and younger youth also presenting. So I think that's something, you know, significant for us to be aware of and mindful of and um, something that we really wanted to focus on as well within our podcast is to help, you know, bridge that gap that's currently present in our mental health system. So I know that you touched on this uh, briefly. The COVID-19 pandemic has had a major impact on mental health, both at the adult and pediatric level. Can you expand on that a little bit and talk about really what has been exacerbated over the past three or so years? Yeah, so with the the onset of the, the COVID-19 pandemic, um, we've we've seen a lot of things change. So kids were, you know, pulled out of school rapidly, right? So their entire environment changed. And this is a very vulnerable period for youth in general. Um, this is where their brain's developing. So they are particularly vulnerable to things like exclusion and discrimination and stigma and any educational difficulties. And this is where they're testing out different behaviors and stuff. So their brains are really influenced. So then when we then threw in all these uncertainties and social isolation and um, then there was definitely, you know, economic uncertainties and um, a lot of racial injustices and um, a lot of unrest that kind of coupled during that early pandemic period. And I mean, even now we're dealing with um, mass shootings and a lot of things are still happening um, that our youth is dealing with. Um, and not to mention like the effects of social media. It's like one thing after the other that our youth is dealing with on top of the pandemic. Um, we've seen the ERs just line up. I mean, you can pull up our ER board and it's sometimes 100 kids sitting there just waiting to be seen. And mind you, they're not all mental health needs, right? But they're sitting in the ER waiting for hours to be seen. And then they get seen and we have to say, okay, now you get to go wait three weeks to get into a partial hospitalization, or you have to sit here well suicidal, and we're going to bed search, which means we're looking for the appropriate level of inpatient uh, bed for you, which can take us hours, likely not, probably more on the end of days. I think um, we were talking about this, I think even yesterday, Simon, we're, we're having some patients reaching that, that record of how long they've been sitting in our ER for, which is really sad um, just because we don't have the appropriate bed for them, meaning there's just not that level of care available because so many people are seeking that level of care. And then we've been we've been seeing worsening of certain uh, disorders. So things like eating disorders have um, been exponentially increasing. Um, and part of that is hypothesized to be the control factor related to eating disorders. And I could go on probably for hours about that. So I won't bore you guys to death, but things that we talk about in our podcast about how this has affected um, our youth and what are things that we can do on the front lines as providers, whether we're a mental health provider or not, and intervene. And what questions do we ask? And what are the next steps? If the answer is X, Y, or Z, what do I do? 
If the kid is six, what do I do? How do I ask if a five-year-old is suicidal versus a 17-year-old? And what is my response? And we go through all of those things to hopefully empower um, individuals to have these conversations that are really scary to have sometimes. Such a complicated and and deep topic, right? And so I think I think what's so important is that you are bringing it into more of a mainstream as best that you possibly can. And and the three of you came together to host this podcast. Uh, so this is a two part question. And and Heidi, maybe you can help answer this one. How did the three of you come together? And and have you found that your work complements each other, or how does your work overlap when you when you talk about podcasts and the work that the three of you do? Sure. Well, I think the easy answer is that the, you know, Michigan Medicine Institution brought us together. Um, we actually have known each other for years, um, you know, basically because I did my training here um, for psychiatry and child psychiatry. I've been, you know, interfacing with these two probably since I came here around 2013 and started my training. Um, but only recently I uh, moved into a faculty position in this last year, and we've actually been working more closely on the consult liaison service. So this setting has brought us together in a really special way that occurs within psychiatry. Um, it's really a multidisciplinary um, department. Uh, we we need each other. We rely on each other, and um, we you know each of these disciplines brings something really special to psychiatry. You know there are some areas of medicine where it is sort of you know a physician led team, and it's primarily you know going to sort of be in that silo. But really, with psychiatry, we cannot exceed excel, and we cannot function without a multidisciplinary approach. So social work, nurse practitioners, um, and, and psychiatrists and physicians, you know, we all work together to try to find uh, treatment for the patients that we have. Um, so it's very, in our world, it's very normal that we would come together and um, collaborate on something because this is literally what we do all day long, every day. Um, and it's, it, it is really truly something that's beautiful about psychiatry is that you have a lot of different um, mindsets coming together to try to solve a problem. Yeah, I was just going to add to that, that I think this felt very natural to do this podcast together because, you know, we do spend a lot of time, you know, together, you know, I think we have conversations like we have in our um, podcast, like in our daily team meetings with other, you know, um, medical professionals, you know, during care team meetings. So it, it kind of felt natural to kind of have different roles and different perspectives that we brought together. Um, to help communicate and break down, you know, mental health and what are things people can do. So I know you've completed a, a full season now of the, the podcast. What would you want the three main takeaways for listeners? If they were to listen to the entire season, what would you say are the three main takeaways from, from your first season doing this podcast? Maybe we can each give you one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would say the main takeaway that I want healthcare providers to take from the season is that we are all mental health providers, no matter what our primary specialty is. And just asking the question, even if it is a very basic question, can be the first step in making a difference in a patient's life and potentially saving their life. Um, so not being afraid to ask those difficult questions. 
So I had heard a phrase recently um, that there should be no wrong door. You know, so when a family is in a crisis, when a youth is in crisis, like anyone that they reach out to, especially in the medical setting, should be the right person and the person that can direct them to the resources and the support that they need. Um, so I hope that this podcast kind of helps medical professionals feel, feel more empowered to support youth and their families and kind of know what where to go, what to say, because, you know, I think that there's a lot of anxiety about this. Like, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I do the wrong thing? And at the end of the day, just being empathic and supportive is the most important thing that these youth and their families need because they're just feeling scared. They don't know what to do. Um, and so kind of hopefully this will help our healthcare providers feel, feel more ready to support them too. I think we all are kind of talking similarly about an idea about making people feel empowered. Um, and so I think that is, that is definitely our major goal of this is to, uh, allow people to feel ready and informed and empowered to deal with a, a rapidly escalating issue that is going to affect us all. And part of that empowerment is also education. So like you have to know, first of all, like not only within your organization where you can direct people, but you also should have the toolkit within yourself to maybe give a couple pointers along the way. So how important is it for you that the listeners are able to receive continuing education credits for each of the podcast episodes? I think this was a really important factor for us. Um, we viewed it um, on a couple different um, platforms. First, uh, it was a, a motivator for people to potentially listen. And um, second, um, we know people are really busy. So having it on a unique platform where they can just plug it into their car, put it on their headphones. I mean, I don't know how many people I see walking into work with their headphones on. You know, they're listening to something. Why not be this? Um, so, um, those, those two factors were like, A, this is our platform, um, it is accessible across a lot of different avenues now and B, like earn some credit for your licensure and a, a productive way. So that's, I mean, if they're I not, if they're that. not listening to your podcast, they're listening to the rap. That's, that's right. what I've decided. Right. <laughs> so our plans in the works for a second season. I can take this question too, I guess. Um, so um, there, there's conversations going about a second season. So the things that we're waiting on, because we're about halfway through all the episodes being aired for for this season. It was a long season. Um, we have, I think it was 16 episodes um, and our seventh one just released um, this week. So um we are waiting for some numbers, some feedback to see if we will have the the sponsorship for a second season. But our hope is there will be a second season and we'll get a little bit more diagnostic specific, a little bit more treatment specific where this season was a little bit more broad. And so for more on the on the work front of things, um, and I think this is probably an interesting thing that maybe people aren't aware of even within our organization, but the three of you are all on the Zero Suicide Steering Committee at Mott. Um, what is that committee? What does it do? And what are the trends that you've seen when it comes to suicide in children over the past decade? So the Zero Suicide um, Committee is like an awesome um, new initiative here um, at a Matt Children's Hospital. We're focusing it currently out of our children's emergency services. Um, but our Matt team was a recipient of a grant that was sponsored by Cardinal Health um, in collaboration with the Children's Hospital Association. And so we're working collaboratively with um, many different children's hospitals across the U.S. to implement the zero suicide framework within our health system. And so zero suicide sets an aspirational goal of zero suicides and really focuses on a multifaceted approach to achieve this goal. So kind of thinking about um, 
ways that we can all contribute to reducing suicides um, in our society, in our healthcare system. And so it's thinking about issues that touch us all, whether it's in our family, you know, what we recognize is that suicide touches us all in many different ways. You know, it may be personally, it may be in our families, it may be in our community, our neighbor, um, our colleagues, you know, someone that you know at church, that this is you know, more prevalent than we recognize. And so working together is really the way that we can hopefully, you know, end suicide and really connect people to the supports that they need um, so that doesn't feel like the only option that they have available. And so this initiative focuses on identifying ways that our leaders can engage. We want to train staff. We want to identify people at risk. We want to engage them in treatment. And we want to help transition them to community settings and resources that are going to help them um, with continued success. And so it's really exciting. Um, we're in the initial phases, and we're identifying interventions within our healthcare system um, to hopefully reduce uh, the number of children presenting with suicidal ideation and suicide attempts. So the grant focuses on working um, in these different areas simultaneously to create sustained systemic change. Um, and the things that we're really focusing on are helping um, provide more training to our staff. So I think this podcast fits right into that of kind of providing people really a quick way to be able to learn more about mental health diagnoses, about how to support patients and families, uh, implementing suicide best practices within our emergency room, and then expanding suicide screening as well. And this initiative, this idea of, you know, there being, you know, our goal being zero suicide is really born out of uh, really concerning trends that have happened. Um, you mentioned that you asked about the last decade or so, and um, there have been a lot of studies and data that has come out that has shown over time that suicide now is one of the leading causes of mortality in children. Um, and this is obviously very concerning. Um, and, you know, people are trying to find new initiatives to figure out how do we, you know, stamp this out altogether? How do we, you know, stop this? And um, I think uh, we see just on a day-to-day -day basis, more and more people coming in with um, really concerning presentations. So more actual suicide attempts happening, more, uh, more lethal suicide attempts. Um, you know, I think that the pandemic has pushed people, um, particularly kids, to a place um, where they don't feel like they have as many options. Um, so it, it really is, uh, it is sort of born out of a, of a concerning trend that we're seeing. And I think that that, again, points to the importance of education and making sure that everybody sort of has the resources that they can, you know, step in if they need to help. And I know that you know, when it comes to social workers, nurses, NPs, everything like that, I'm sure that, you know, one of their resources is the Breaking Down Mental Health podcast. But beyond that, are there any sort of recommendations that the three of you have, you know, whether it's books or websites or other podcasts, that if people want to learn more about psychiatric care and where to sort of where to turn, what would you recommend? So one of my go-tos is definitely like the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. So they have a lot of really good information um, along with the National Alliance on Mental Illness. So that's a great family resource that has a lot of really helpful educational handouts, um, uh, support group information. In Washtenaw County, NAMI has a really active um, group that does a lot of advocacy work, support work, education work. Um, and there's uh, groups across the country that support that effort. Um, and then I think also professional organizations. So, you know, personally as a social worker, the National um, Association for Social Workers, NASW has a lot of important information, the American Psychiatric Association, the American Psychological Association. Um, these are kind of, I know, some of my go-tos for information and things that are up to date in terms of 
mental health treatment and resources. And the Michigan Medicine's Department of Psychiatry also has a website with a lot of resources. Um, and then for myself, I would also say I would look at the National Institute of Mental Health's website. And the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry has really great information for um, professionals as well as parents. I was going to say, from a nurse practitioner standpoint, the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners has made uh, mental health uh, the focus of this year and the initiative. So there's a lot of push there, a lot of education coming out of NAPNAP and um, a lot of family resources, provider resources and educational material that is um, being pushed out from that resource as well. And Heidi, you mentioned the Department of Psychiatry and, and the resources that they have here. I also know that the Eisenberg Family Depression Center here has a toolkit that people can use that are easily accessible, have wonderful uh, bits and pieces, not only for your mental well-being, but exercises and training and things like that. And there's just so many great things out there. And I, I appreciate the three of you sharing all those resources because those are they're very helpful. I lots of people read them and uh, I do think they make a difference. Um, and so I guess, you know, to, to transition just a little bit before we, we close things up, but what would and each of you can answer this. What is the number one tip uh, that you try to give parents uh, who's, you know, who have children who are struggling? I think honestly, it's it's a really daunting task uh, for a parent to, you know, when they catch wind that something like this is happening with their child. I think the the typical response we usually see is shock and um, fear, and I think sometimes to just sort of distill it down to something as simple as you know, you are the best parent that your child could have, you know them best. And it only takes as little as just asking a question um, and, you know, providing a safe space to talk. Um, and I think it's it's pretty simple what um, what you can accomplish by just doing that, just making the space to talk to your child and listening. Um, and so even if you don't know what to say and you're afraid, um, being able to just be with your child in this and ask simple questions to learn more is probably the best and first step because you are probably the best person to do it and the person that they know well. So um, one thing that I, you know, it's really interesting when we did this podcast, like I think there were things that we each learned as well along the way. Um, things that we kind of reflected on or thought about in a different way. And actually in our suicidal ideation and self-injurious behavior podcast, uh, we featured Dr. Pierce, who's one of our colleagues on the consultation liaison psychiatry service. And she used the phrase, never worry alone. And that really stuck with me. Um, and it's something that I, you know, think I had said, but it really put it to the forefront of my mind of kind of how to support parents when they are you know, supporting their child with a crisis um, and reminding them that they're not alone in this, that there are people there to help support them, help answer questions. Um, so thinking about resources like NAMI to be able to access because they have like guides on like, when I go to a therapist, what do I say? What do I do? What should I expect? Um, that parents can always call the 988 Suicide Prevention Lifeline as well. And they're, they can ask for guidance to say, you know, I found out my child is cutting. What do I do? How do I support them? And there's someone there that can help guide them. You know, similarly, our psychiatric emergency services too has you know, a line that's always answered by a social worker to help just answer those questions because it is hard and it's difficult to find information and it's scary and we don't want you to worry alone. So hopefully, you know, this podcast provides um, not only like, you know, our focus was health professionals, but I think there's definitely key takeaways for families as well. 
I think the last thing I have to add to that is to remind parents to take care of themselves because when supporting somebody who has is going through a lot of mental health needs or who is suicidal or who's just struggling, we have to remember to take care of ourselves because we can't take care of them if we're not taking care of ourselves. So it's okay if we need to ask for help ourselves as parents, um, asking for, you know, somebody else, grandma to come stay with the patient. So you can, you know, go take a shower or, you know, go out to dinner with your, your significant other, just taking that break to take care of yourself, because this is hard and it's a lot. And we know that you love your kid, but you need to also take care of yourself so that you can fully be there for them in those times as well. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much to all three of you for sharing this incredibly important information. If you want to learn more about the Breaking Down Mental Health podcast, be sure you go to mmheadlines.org. That's mmheadlines.org. And while you're there, check out other featured stories from this past week. Uh, For instance, there was a story on executive rounding, which is helping set the tone for improved HRO skills and communication here at Michigan Medicine. And there was also information about the latest cybersecurity threats and team members learned how they can tackle food insecurity in Washtenaw County. Find all that and more at mmheadlines.org. All right, Jeremy. So obviously this show is about podcasts. So I want to know, besides breaking down mental health, are there any other podcasts that you tend to listen to in your free time? Uh, Daniel, as you know, I'm a, I'm a big sports fan. So there are a number of podcasts that I enjoy. Uh, you know, you, you go through any of the golf podcasts like No Laying Up or The Fried Egg. I enjoy listening to those guys. I enjoy uh, Men in Blazers if I want my soccer fix. And if I'm looking for something more educational and maybe some uh, pop culture type stuff, I like to listen to uh, the Stuff You Should Know podcast. How about yourself? Yeah, so uh, I, I'm a huge sports nut, but I don't actually do sports podcasts. So maybe I should get into that. Um uh, my wife and I love listening to true crime. We watch true crime shows all the time. So we'll do some true crime pro- podcasts like uh, um, Crime Junkies is one of them that we've listened to. Um, and then we listen to the uh, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me podcast every week, the the news quiz from NPR. So, uh, you know, we just have a little bit of fun with that. I'm not huge into podcasts, but those are definitely the ones that that are in the regular rotation. Nice. Good to hear. Yeah. Okay, it's time for the weekly trivia contest. This week's question is, what is the name of the ongoing initiative to benefit food gatherers at Michigan Medicine? Once again, what is the name of the ongoing initiative to benefit food gatherers at Michigan Medicine? You can find the answer on headlines, and once you know it, send the answer to headlines at med.umich.edu for the chance to win a prize. All right, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you to all of our guests for joining us. And thanks, as always, to our listeners and viewers for everything you do for patients, families, and each other. We'll see you next week.